All right. Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to do a little bit different format. Honestly, as I see these uh, tables and chairs sitting up here, and my friend Lance is welcoming me, uh, or we're welcoming him up here, I, it's kind of bittersweet. Uh, this this setup brings back lots of emotions. Most of y'all maybe not even recognize this. You've forgotten, but for about a year, this is what life looked like for us. You there, me here, and no one, no one was out here. This is this is what we did during the pandemic. We went through some psalms, and so as we're here, I just I have lots and lots of stories about that time that we spent together up here with all of you at home on your couches watching uh, the the service. Um, and that's a little bit what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about stories and how powerful they are and and how we all have a story to tell. Yeah, and that's kind of what we want to celebrate is is stories are powerful, but our stories are powerful. Regardless yeah. of how we came to live those, when you meet Jesus, you have a story that's powerful. Yeah. And we all, want to celebrate that. all throughout the Bible, we have those those stories. So I just I'll start off we'll kind of dialogue a little bit back and forth, but tell me what's What's a powerful story that you think of from the Bible of somebody who had this life-changing moment? Well, both of us have preached this, right? Uh, John 4, the woman at the well, uh, that, is, that is kind of a go-to of uh, her life was a certain way, she met Jesus, and then it changed. Yeah. And so it just follows the pattern beautifully in the Chosen miniseries. There's this great line that Mary has in, um, in episode one, and she says, all I know is I was this way, and then I met him, and now I'm this way. Yeah. And the, it just gives me goosebumps. Yeah, great story. I think you were able to preach that in one week. It took me like three or four weeks to do it, so you, you guys know how that goes. So Two weeks of that was the, was the introduction. <laughs> That's, that was hurtful. Thank you. That was. Okay, so now it's my turn. I, this is one that I know we both like, but... Um, the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. I mean, this guy is like crazy. He's literally like cutting himself with rocks. He's screaming out. He's running around naked. And nobody can, they've tried to chain him down. He breaks through the chains. And then he meets Jesus. Yeah. And then, and all this, I just, I love the scene where, where, where people come up and he's sitting there clothed and in his right mind and they're all just completely freaked out by it. Like that, the, the change between what, what he was and then he met Jesus and his life after that, it's just, it's so stark and, and it's so powerful. Yeah, it's, it's the contrast, right? It's the difference. Paul is kind of the poster boy of the conversion moment. When we talk about conversions, we even say things like, I saw the light, the Damascus moment, even, even that language in conversion stories. We see in Paul, that's found in Acts 9. We know Paul persecuted the church, that he was a Pharisee, that he was zealous for the law. He persecutes the church. He has this encounter, this supernatural moment with Jesus. And then after that, he is baptized, and then he's sent out on this mission, and no longer is he persecuting the church, but, but he is literally building and planning churches. Yeah, the, the guy who, who wrote, you know, like, uh, I thank my God every time I remember you, as, as he's talking about these churches that he started, like years before, when they described Saul, he breathed out murderous threats 
towards people. And so just the change of that is just, it's super exciting. It's just, we love those stories. And so as we could, we could spend the rest of our time in several months just talking about those stories throughout the Bible, but, but what we really just want to show is, is that these stories are really powerful. But what's so amazing about it is, especially talking about these three individuals, their story does not end at conversion. It doesn't. As, uh, as old Paul Harvey used to say, it's the rest of the story that really is quite unique. And, and their, their journey, their story really begins after conversion. But sometimes we get caught up thinking about how important this conversion story is, right? Yeah, it's it is seductive to think that like the life before deserves a lot of attention or even a ton of focus on that on that specific moment that 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 you know the clock's about to strike 12 and they turn to Jesus and it's so dramatic but in all and in many others uh, they go on to go on mission for God and sometimes we kind of like forget about that as we think about telling our story in Christ as we put our focus on how I was before or why I said yes to Jesus but not living on mission with Christ and so the woman in John 4 goes on to tell everybody in her town this man's a prophet he told me everything I ever did and the people come to faith they they come to meet Jesus and then they say we no longer believe just because of what you said the woman at the well now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is, capital S, Savior of the world. And so she goes on mission for Jesus. Her moment doesn't end at that encounter with Jesus at the well. She goes on mission for Jesus. Yeah, and I think we've uh, wrongly called her the woman at the well. I really think it, she should be called the woman who leaves the well. Because that's really where life changes for her. It wasn't just meeting Jesus. It was how she continually allowed his story to change her story. And, and bringing those people. So another example. Uh, but, uh, but let's look at this next one. Mark chapter 5 is the demoniac. Okay. You know, we, we talk about how crazy it was. And how people were just completely floored when they came and here he is. He's clothed, he's in, his, he's in his right mind. But really his story is not just right there. It's, it's beyond that. Um, and, and I don't know if you'll remember that after, you know, the, the, the people say, leave us, don't, don't go here. You know, they're, they're, they're really freaked out by the fact that, one, this guy's been healed. They're probably a little upset that they lost about 2,000 pigs in that whole conversion story, right? But then listen to this. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Wouldn't you think Jesus would just say, sure, hop in, join us? He does this other places. He calls people, hey, you guys come follow me and you can fish for men, right? But listen to this. Jesus did not let him, but instead said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. He went out to where? Where did he go? The Decapolis. 
What does Decapolis mean? Does anybody know? The Ten Cities. I mean, this guy went from being confined in a graveyard, screaming out curses, to roaming the countryside, sharing the gospel. And I mean, that's, that is the greater part of the story. Not just simply that, that he was saved by Jesus, but he continually was allowing the story of Jesus to form the rest of his life. Well, and, and what I like about this is this points out what we're trying to talk about is that our stories are powerful. Yeah. And so Jesus doesn't say, go and present the prophecies from Isaiah and demonstrate how they all, how uh, I am the one who actually fulfills those and how uh, I am the true Messiah. He says, go and tell what the true Messiah, Jesus, has done for you. Right? It's not a systematic theology. It's not, it's not prophecy. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's just, just go tell people what God did in your life. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to celebrate yeah. today. Yeah. And so then uh, the third one, and the easiest one that doesn't need convincing here, is Paul. I mean, we literally get a few lines about Paul's life before Jesus. And then Acts 9 is kind of dedicated to where Paul sees the light, he says yes to Jesus. He's baptized. And then two-thirds of the New Testament is Paul saying, this is what it means to be a Christian, and this is how I'm living this out, traveling around, planting churches, preaching the gospel. I mean, it's so, it's so blatant where, where the emphasis is. Yeah. And that's really what we're trying to do. And so I actually brought headlines here. Because what we really are talking about here, I don't know if we've used the word yet, is your Christian testimony. And so Christianity Today is a magazine that we uh, pay for here at the, at, the, at the church building. It shows up every month. I love to read it. They have a segment that is just testimonials. And so I looked up the top 10 ones of this year, the most read, the most shared. And so see if you relate to these. I used to run with drug... Um, Addicts and, and prostitutes, now I share the gospel with them. Anybody? You might not want to admit that. Last 12 months, no one? My life in Seattle's street gangs was a dead-end street. Anybody? Seattle street gangs? No? Uh, I went to Hollywood to make my own music. Now I make a joyful noise to the Lord. Anybody in Hollywood trying to be an artist? Jacob Blackman in a couple of years maybe, possibly? Yeah. Uh, I laid down my, now this one is actually really good. I laid down my Islamic privilege to preach Jesus around the world, a direct descendant of Muhammad. Preaching the gospel now. Dude, those are powerful. They are, but I will say this, after hearing those and then listening to the woman at the well, the demoniac and Paul, I'm like, we out. Like, I can't do, like, I can't compare to that. I don't have that story. I don't have the road to Damascus story. I was not running around naked in a graveyard, cutting myself, and then all of a sudden Jesus came and healed me, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to 10 different cities. So what do we do? What happens to all of us that we, we don't, we're not direct descendants of Muhammad or you know, we weren't in a street game in Seattle, a gang in Seattle? What, what does that mean for the rest of us? Would you actually read these? And when you actually look at the stories of the three people that we've chosen to talk about, they're actually all very relatable. Yeah, okay, you're going to have to help me out with that one. Because what you're telling me is, is that my story and, and all of these people's story, 
these good, nice, God-loving people who haven't been in a street gang in Seattle, you're telling me that they have a powerful conversion story to tell. Yeah. You better sell it because okay. I'm not buying. That, th- this is the moment that, like, this is why we decided to do this. Yeah. Okay, so Colossians 1, 21. Colossians 1 is one of the best chapters in the entire Scripture, but uh, it's just about the supremacy of Christ. But, but Paul is going to say this. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. Just want to let that hit. You were enemies in your minds. All of these stories, prostitutions, addiction, street gangs, living the life in Hollywood, all of that the behavior came after being an enemy to God in their minds. The behavior played that out. So in the NIV, there's actually a footnote in that text. Um, so in the, in the text, it says that you were enemies uh, in, in uh, your minds because of your evil behavior. The footnote says, as shown by your evil behavior. And I looked it up in the original Greek and in various different, different translations. Really, the better reading is you were enemies as shown by your evil behavior. So basically what Paul is trying to say is that pre-Christ, all of us were enemies because of how we thought and how we believed and how we operated in our minds. Our evil behaviors came after that. And it doesn't matter if your evil behavior is some of these outlandish testimonies or if it sounds more like my story and your story. Yeah, and, and Jesus really backs this up on, in the Sermon on the Mount because he says, hey, you know, you have heard it said don't murder, but what does he say? I tell you, don't, don't hate another person. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm saying, don't look at another person lustfully. So Jesus is backing up and saying, hey, it's, it's not just the behavior that's manifested through that sin. It's what's going on in your mind. Now, all of a sudden, think about this. Hey, if I said, how many of you have murdered someone? There's probably not many or anybody in here who's done that, right? But what if I ask this? How many of you have thought of murdering someone? Do you mean today or ever? Yeah. You cannot sit in a church building having raised teenagers and never thought at one point in your life, I'm going to take my child's life today. Right? How many? So to say, to say how many of you have murdered, how many of you committed adultery, you say, ah, that's not me. How many of you have hated someone? How many of you have, have lusted? Right? All of a sudden... That becomes more real to us. All of a sudden we say, well, okay, I'm, I'm not this crazy Islamic who changed their life, but I'm, I'm some person who, you know, inside in my heart and in my mind, I'm really no different. My actions may have played out a little differently, but my thoughts were the same. So yeah. let's, let's kind of, let's go back to these. So what about Paul? So he's persecuting the church. He's kicking down doors. He's doing this like dog the bounty hunter jewish style crime show arresting christians but in philippians 3 we find out how paul thought about himself and before he came to christ he describes what it's like to think about yourself in fleshly pre-christian terms in philippians 3 4 he says if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh i have more circumcised on the eighth day he's literally bragging 
about his race? Are there, are there, are there people who struggle with, with that sin of, of racial superiority or arrogance today? Of course there are. He says, I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a, Hebrews of, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, not only am I of the right tribe, but I'm of the right branch of that tribe. My people, Benjamin, they stayed faithful. When those ten tribes in the north, when they went off and they got carried away and they were sinful, I stay down here, my people are faithful. He says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. He says, I'll smoke you a Bible trivia. He's like, I'm a Pharisee. I know the word. I live it inside and out. I went to the right school. Gamaliel is my teacher. He, I mean, he's bragging about his education. You know people that they always are trying to drop in the, the fancy schools that they went to? All right, you'll never catch me doing that because I didn't go to fancy schools. Um, but you see what Paul is putting pride in. His race, his family, his knowledge, his education. Um, he says, as Brazil persecuting the church. He says, I'm more hardcore than you are. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He says, my behavior was impeccable. And so suddenly, I can't identify with Paul as somebody that uh, attacks Christians and puts them in jail. I've never done that. I can't identify with that. But then I see how Paul thought in the flesh, and I'm like, oh, he sounds kind of arrogant. Lance, are you a little arrogant at times? Are, are there things that you're proud of apart from Christ? And then suddenly, I see Paul as my older brother saying, Lance, I thought that way too, but now I don't. Because he goes on to say, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And suddenly, like any trophy or anything I think I've accomplished in life, any award or plaque or education or compliment, I'm like, it's garbage. And then I relate to Paul. I can step into Paul's shoes yeah. when I read this. I mean, I don't know that any of us can relate to Paul, the, you know, kicking down doors, calling out curses. But how many of you can relate to this? Just being filled with pride. I mean, how many, how many of you have that? All of a sudden, we're not really that far away from Paul and the struggle that he had. And so all of a sudden, our story is, is not only powerful, but it's also very relatable. Because if we went out, if we're Paul and we go tell people, hey, remember that time you used to kick down doors? They're like, no. But you can say, hey, have you ever had pride in your life? Have you ever struggled with that? Thinking that you're better than other people, caring more about yourself, all of a sudden we're like, oh yeah. So, so here's really, here's, here's the, 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 the short of, of Paul's life. He was prideful, he met Jesus, and his life was changed. That is a real, relatable powerful testimony and i would guess that there's a lot of people in this room who could say i was prideful i met jesus and my life was changed that's a story that is worth telling and should be heard by other people so how about this we have the the woman at the well on the outside she is has adultery. She's been married to, to five other men. And now she uh, is living with a guy who's not her husband. 
right? That's a crazy story. Probably not too many people have that story. How many people can sit down and say, I've been married this many times. My life was crazy. You say, why well, haven't, you know, we talked just last week about marriage and how important it is. We had so many people talk about they've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so your testimony does not include, I was wildly unfaithful to my previous five husbands. And the guy that I'm living with now, you know, he's not my husband. But this is the real story of the woman at the well. She struggled with a shameful past. How many of you in here can say, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I know what it's like to feel deep shame and regret for the actions that I did, for the, some of the things that I said, for the way that I was away from God. This is her story. You ready for this? Forget the well. Forget all the other men. This is her story. She made some really bad mistakes. She met Jesus and her life was changed. How many people in here can say, that's my story. That's a powerful story. I made some bad mistakes. I met Jesus. My life was changed. All of a sudden you're like, yeah, that, that's my story. I've been married 50 years. But that's still my story. I think that's really powerful. I, I think we need to continue to embrace the fact that, that we have these really powerful stories. Okay, uh, how about th this one? Well, no one can I want to just say one. I think okay. the point about the woman at the well is not only that she did things in the past that she had to be shameful about, but shame is still ruling her. Yeah. And some of us d don't have anything that we've done that we explicitly feel shameful about in the last five years it could have been 30 years ago but we're still ruled by it yeah and the fact that she is still ruled by it today just goes to that mindset of you might think your testimony is is boring but you've been struggling with shame for something that happened in 1980 yeah right and this woman is like just trapped by that and yeah. speaking of being trapped the demon possessed man which i know we all can relate to i work with a guy just like him just crazy You've got a second job? <laughs> okay, so I want you to convince me and everybody else in here how our story of a crazy man running around in a graveyard, cutting himself and screaming, breaking chains, how in any way is that relatable to us? He is a man that is driven and consumed by something other than Jesus. People that have struggled with addiction, people that are workaholics, people that are success um, driven that are just so motivated by that one thing and so it's driven him into isolation from from a community it's driven him to isolation from God it's driven him to where he is even isolated from himself because he is consumed and driven by something that's not Jesus yeah and that I mean that's relatable consumed with anything you could be consumed with work with social media with with sports you know, just anything can be something that that makes this story very relatable to us. And so it doesn't have to be, your story does not have to be, hey, remember that time that I used to live outside on the edge of town and I was cutting myself with rocks and running around naked screaming. Like, that's probably not how you start your story. But what if your story is, there was a time where God was not the priority in my life. This is his story, just simple enough. He was a prisoner to sin. He met Jesus. 
and his life was changed. How many of you can say, you know what, I was a, I was a prisoner to sin and I was consumed with something that wasn't about Jesus. So here it is right here. At the root of this, these stories, we have a man with pride, a woman with shame, and a guy with misaligned priorities. That's really what it all boils down to. And in this room, we have some... We have some women in here that are struggling with pride, some men that are struggling with shame, and we have some people in here who have had misaligned priorities. And then you met Jesus. And, and your life was changed. And that's, that's the power of story. That's, that's our testimonies. Yeah, and we, and we want everyone here who, is, who has met Jesus to feel like that their story is worth sharing, that there's somebody that needs to hear your story, that, that they are not going to pick up this book until, feel like, until they feel like they have a reason to do it. And your story can be the reason that they say yes to Jesus. It could be the reason why they choose to show up here. It could be the reason why they pick up this book. And so don't be fearful to share your story because you think it's, boring or that it's not powerful because yeah. all all of these crazy stories when you get past the behaviors the root cause of their stories are very relatable to all of them yeah okay so you 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 came across this algorithm yeah it's it you you say it's not yours but you know it's not mine. It, and it it's, was in a youth curriculum it's really good and it's super simple how, how do you how do you share your story how do you write your own story how do you identify it okay. tell, tell us it's, here it's one two three that's it. Okay. Close dismiss. No. Uh, so you have six minutes to speak about your story. Hypothetically, spend one minute on the way you thought and the way you oriented your life before Christ. It, it could include behaviors, but the behaviors is not the point. But just spend a, a minute on kind of your 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 worldview and the way that you got through life, the things that drove you the most. One minute. Okay. The least amount of time. Spend two minutes on why you said yes to Jesus the first time, on, on your conversion story. And then spend three minutes on how you've been living on mission with God since then and why it really matters. So many times we flip this thing around and we put all of the emphasis on how bad and terrible and how great their sin was and that gets all the story and then we kind of tack on, and then they were baptized, and now they're faithful Christians, right? And we put the emphasis on like the, the crazy gangbanger, Hollywood singer, prophet of Muhammad part of the story, and not on what it's like to live on mission with God since then. And so one, two, three, one minute on your, the way you thought and behaved beforehand, two minutes on why you said yes to Jesus, and three minutes on what it's like to live on mission with Christ since then yeah it's and elegant one, it's beautiful it's easy and and one thing i really love about it and you kind of pointed this out is it takes the emphasis off of that that first part where you feel like okay you know somebody just got up and they spent 25 minutes talking about how crazy and their life was and like yeah but i'm not in that anymore i don't party like i used to do all these awesome wild parties but now you know i just go to church and god saved me from having so much fun yeah it's what it sometimes sounds yeah. like and then you're like, well, I can't compete with that. But this is like, we minimize, uh, the one, two, three minimizes that, that hey, I'm not going to glamorize what life was like before. I'm just saying, this is a part of it. Like, I used to be really selfish. 
I used to be really prideful. I used to be really stingy. I used to be really angry. And then I met Jesus. And let me tell you how my life has changed now. And I just think that's a really powerful story. Now, I, I want to I close out with this. Some of you are saying, okay, I now can identify I have the one minute. I can say, you know what, okay, maybe it wasn't wild and crazy, but I can say I was prideful, I was angry, I was bitter, I struggled with forgiveness. And then you might, you could say, you know what, you know, I, I'm not really sure about the two and three. I just want you to know that, that God is calling you, he's inviting you into a life-changing decision. Where it's no longer, I'm going to struggle with unforgiveness against um, an, an uncle or, or a, a cousin or a boss or, or myself. You don't have to live in that life of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to struggle with that. I'm going to accept Jesus in my life. I'm going to allow my life to be completely changed. If you don't have that story this morning, right now, we are inviting you to allow God to pick up the pen and rewrite that story and say, this, I, this is where I claimed this child as my own and their life will never be the same again. And that's what Jesus invites all of us to this morning, every day. He says, I, I want to change your story. And so if you don't have... If you have not made that decision this morning, we want to invite you to do that. We want to invite you to accept Jesus in your life and be immersed into a life with Jesus it, through baptism and through just the way that you live your life. We want to encourage you to do that. And this morning, we're going to invite you as we stand and sing this morning.